in the 21st century, the world searches for answers to the questions that really affect our lives. Does anyone know an anagram for gonad dream? To debate the topics that really matter. Star Trek is in a good place right now. Yeah, I can't agree with you on that one. And be brave enough to state the truth. Movies just don't end that way. Three men dare to face what others fear. James. Oh yeah, I, di- I didn't need that image. Jesse. Uh, I was thinking God or dog. Joash. I want Stan Lee to be the one to wield the Infinity Gauntlet and destroy Thanos. If you hunger for knowledge, if you thirst for wisdom, if you're looking for a podcast that will make all your wildest dreams come true, you've come to the wrong place. You're listening to The Anti-Matter Hour. How long should my stick be, Josh? Hmm. Anyway, welcome, welcome, everyone, to this week's edition of the Antimatter Hour podcast. We're back here with the three usuals. To my far left is Jesse. Jesse, how are you doing this week? Rip City! Baby! (laughs) Yeah, I'm doing good. And then to my right is James, a.k.a. Jamie. How are you, sir? I could use a drink. Speaking of which... Another one? Yes, another one. Another one. uh, I don't mean to be the drink Nazi, but don't you think you've had enough? Nope. Well, not not if anything's to go by with what you've been up to this week. And we'll get into that in just a minute. But speaking of drinks, this week we have... uh, It's another one of the... uh, This is also from the uh, Brews from New Avenues, I believe. Is that correct? Does it have a Brews sticker on it? Uh, No. No. So what's the year on it? Uh, 2021. Oh, it's from this year's then. Yeah, okay. that that's a new one. Yeah, it's I forgot the brewery, but uh, um, pretty tasty. Oh, Cigar City. Cigar right? City Brewing. Uh, it's there. I'm going to mispronounce this. It's uh, Hunapu's Imperial Stout. And are you guys getting like coconut cinnamon? Yeah, coconut cinnamon. I don't know. This stuff has the consistency of like blood mixed with chocolate. So I'm so I'm curious <laughs> when you say that. Are you are we? Are, is it like O O positive O negative? More of an A B blood, situation. Blood from your vampire phase. Uh, yes, yes. That that phase I was in. Haven't haven't had a lot of personally. Haven't had a lot of experience tasting blood. <laughs> there's a bit of there's a bit of um, maraschino cherry in there too, or like a Luxardo cherry. Like at the beginning, get that real sweet cherry note. Yeah, that, that's just for color. Mm, sweet cherry note. That sounds like a good band name. <laughs> Give it that. Uh, speaking of band name, yeah, some we, somebody's been uh, hitting the concert circuit. Yes, getting back to that, Jamie. Where were you re- just recently? Oh, I was up in Tacoma. The. Uh, uh, I have no idea what nickname to give Tacoma. 
Do you think it's like the Eugene of Washington? Yeah, I don't know. It's the crown jewel of the Puget Sa- the crown of the sound, right? <laughs> okay. Uh, anyway, it's it's home of the Tacoma Dome, which is where Elton John chose to play his last uh two uh concerts in Washington state apparently ever uh if the name of his tour is any indication. The uh Farewell Yellow Brick Road tour. Yeah, how was that? It was amazing. Um I had uh I had third row seats all the way over to the right hand side which uh is considered stage left because that you're referencing as, as if you were on stage. Right. I learned left. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Correct. <laughs> I learned once I got there that Elton John always has his piano on stage right, the opposite side of the stage for me. But it's okay because as as luck would have it, um during uh during his concerts, he just his piano with him sitting at it just moves right down the stage a couple times. <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> I didn't I didn't know that was going to happen. But yeah, he just started moving while he was playing the song and he, uh it, a couple times um, I got a good enough angle to take a picture of him without his piano in the way. So that was nice. Um, and then a couple times he just got up and walked around and waved at people and started, you know, thanking people and stuff. So, yeah, he's a really great guy. Um, uh, of all the concerts I've been to this year, this one probably had probably the most meaning to me because I've listened to his music for the, for longer than any, any of the other concerts I've, I've been to, like uh, Journey and Scorpions. Yeah. Those were nice uh, 80s rock, but I didn't discover 80s rock until like maybe the late 90s or something. Right. But Elton John, I was listening to his stuff. Um, oh, you know what? I think one of the first El- uh, Elton John cassette tapes that I got was a McDonald's promotion. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. I think it was called like Classic Elton John or something like that. Oh, interesting! It was the first time I remember hearing "Crocodile Rock" and well, Sat- "Saturday Night's All Right for Fighting." Was he was he the one that was he featured in a marketing campaign where they had like the guy playing the piano and the moon? Like, was that his music or something? In that, do you remember in the eighties that? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Mac at Mac, Mac at night. Yeah, yeah. Mac, Mac, yeah. I wonder if that was like composed or written or something by Sir Elton John. Maybe, those, probably not. Those, might, those were probably <laughs> two different things. Uh, I, if, if I remember the promotion correctly, it was a Happy Meal thing, and there was like one of four different tapes you could get. I don't know. Huh. But uh, I got an Elton John tape. That sounds like an awesome Happy Meal <laughs> Oh, yeah. They were, they were much better back in the day. <laughs> yeah. Now, fast food restaurants don't do nearly as good of promotions as they used to. I mean, occasionally you'll get a good one. Like, uh, recently, McDonald's had the... Uh, cactus plant uh flea market box that you could get yeah what's the, what's the origin what's the, of that it's a like adult uh happy meal isn't it supposed not like not like nc17 but the grown-up happy meal right right but cactus plant flea market is like a lifestyle like influencer brand oh uh, really yeah well, oh, i didn't know that what are the toys in, the, in those things the toys so the cactus plant flea market they have like a uh, sort of their thing, I guess you would say, is and it's not their full thing. It's just like a thing, but like they've done like art or figurines or dolls or something of some some sort of a nature of like a where the face on this item has double rows of eyes instead of two eyes. It has four eyes like stacked oh, one like, on top of the yeah. other. So the promotion, the toy 
in the cactus plant flea market boxes from McDonald's would be a McDonald's-themed toy. So either like the Hamburglar or Grimace or uh, Bert, Birdie. Uh, I, think Birdie? I, know, yeah. I know who you're talking about. I don't know um, if her name is Birdie or not. And a fourth one being the... Um, they call it the cactus pl- or the McDonald's mascot or something. It's just a generic like doll wearing a McDonald's T-shirt, but they all have four eyes instead of two. It's like their faces are like double stretched, sort of. <laughs> so yeah, Happy Meals were better back in the day. <laughs> it, th- that was a kind of a fun promotion, though. People were really actually like into that a bit, and um, I I tried. I got a few boxes, and I was trying to get the Hamburglar, and I failed. I got two grimaces and a couple of the other ones, but. Um, but were you into it, you, uh, you and everyone else, were you into it because you wanted what they were offering or because the influencer told you to be in, into it? No, I never heard of the influencer before. It was just a purely a novelty to get the little McDonald's toy, like in a limited sort of edition kind of thing. Okay. Um, oh, you wanted it because it was special. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be a limited time. It's a food thing. Like... Um, I be- remember when they had when they did the little beanie babies. Yeah. I don't think... <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I don't think we've necessarily oh um, mentioned, uh, or I've mentioned, but I, I belong to a uh, uh, food, I don't know what you call it, mutual admiration sort of society uh, <laughs> of uh, just uh, people uh, talking about and sharing uh, food stories and ideas and pictures and, and recipes and Like secret menu items and stuff like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that the McDonald's sort of thing was a uh, sort of a a brief but big hit in the club. <laughs> what what's the what's the name of that? The Steamed Ham Society. Oh yes, <laughs> yeah. Uh, we I've t- I know I've talked to you guys about that uh, before. I'm not sure uh, uh, if anyone's interested in uh, food, uh, uh, like-minded people who are also interested in food and. Uh, just kind of joking around and uh, sharing a whole bunch of stuff on uh, the Discord platform. And the society is, uh, uh, I don't know what you would say, led or founded by uh, Bill Oakley, one of the original uh, uh, lead writers for The Simpsons uh, way back in the early days. So, And Steamed Hams is a um, Simpsons me- a meme I use the word meme because I don't know what else, what other term to use. It's it's become that, yeah, certainly sketch sort of thing. Well, yeah, I mean, in 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 an episode of The Simpsons, I don't know how long ago, uh, there was this uh, there's this vignette slash sketch or whatever, where uh, Superintendent Chalmers goes to Principal Skinner's house. Uh, Skinner had planned to you know uh, prepare for him an unforgettable luncheon. But it goes it goes south when he uh, uh, burns the dinner, and then he goes to Krusty Burger to replace it, and he insists that the you know he, that he prepared these as an old family recipe that they called steamed hams, even though they're obviously grilled. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, he sneaks to Krusty Burger. We should say it's all in a very big secrecy and a, a, a ruse. The reason why I know that sketch is uh, there, for a period of time it was my favorite thing on the internet, because everybody was making their own version of it. There was uh, there's this thing uh, called like steamed ham steamed hams but, and then um, just use your imagination 
uh, just mo- massively multiple ways in which uh, that that same sketch is reinterpreted. <laughs> yeah, like uh, they'll redraw the rest of it as stick figures or or overlay like classical music on the whole thing or do all kinds of uh, just modify it in any way you can imagine, right? Yeah, what, I think one of my favorites is uh, later on when it had already become a popular thing, somebody had organized uh, uh, this thing where. Uh, they would reach out to uh, you know just different animators, uh, probably on social media. Anybody who felt like animating a, a section of the sketch, and so it was steamed hams. But every like seven or eight seconds, it was a different animator, and it, 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 it was the same audio and the sketch played out as normal. But the style of animation changed wildly every few seconds. <laughs> yeah, man, I, I love that sketch. So yeah, it's kind of a fun club to be in. Uh, like I said, it's uh, ostensibly centered around uh and revolves around food um but there's a big bend on um simpsons fans and a lot of simpsons content and um one of the features of being in the club is a monthly uh, newsletter and a monthly live stream um and uh on the uh, most recent live stream uh I forget who, but uh, Bill had one of the uh, another Simpsons writer on, and uh, they, you know, you're able to. They answered a lot of questions and just uh, talked about, you know, being in the writers' room for the longest. Was it the longest running sitcom or television show or whatever? It's the longest it. running something. It's thirty five um, seasons. It's got something like I, that. I don't even know anymore. Yeah, uh, just a uh, kind of a lot of like insider access to uh simpsons kind of stuff (laughs) well yeah and then uh so also if you if uh anyone who is for those of you listening at home huh what (laughs) uh if you've been following our twitter at antimatter hour on twitter um then you would have seen that uh about a week and a half ago it was uh, the Sunday previous to this last one. Then you would have seen that we were at the Scorpions concert here in Portland. And uh, originally, the opener was going to be Whitesnake, uh, which I was looking forward to. And I know you guys were as well to hear uh, Here I Am Again or Here I Go Again uh, live. Uh, but due to some unforeseen happenings, they weren't able to. Some health problems with. I'm not sure who in White Snake. Yeah, the lead singer maybe, but uh, health issues I think is the excuse. They weren't able to come, so we uh, we uh, the open the new opener was Thunder Mother. Oh, Thunder Mother was a uh, surprise for all of us. <laughs> yes, man, the, they melted our faces. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, and so that was uh, that was pretty amazing. Um, we'll see them in concert. I don't know how many of the other songs you remember the names of. I did post the uh, set list to I, my personal Twitter. No, I responded to your question on Twitter yes. with the set list. Probably should have put that on the Anti-Matter Hour Twitter. Um, but they had some great songs, um, one, uh, one of which was simply called Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, they were so good. Um, Driving in Style. Driving in style, so, uh, something about seventy six. Uh, I forget the full name of that song. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, Thunder Mother. I don't. I, I'm not prepared. I don't have the names of the uh, four performers up with me, but it's four women from Sweden. Uh, um, 
or at least it was originally. I don't know if there are if the current members are all from Sweden. Uh, but man, uh, what an opening act! That was uh, that was intense. Yeah, it was awesome. It was a little. Um, I guess uh, it kind of makes sense. The name sort of alludes to it being a, a women's rock band, but I didn't put two and two together until we were there and they were playing, and uh, it was uh, it was awesome. Yeah, they have massive stage presence too. Oh yeah, the lead singer uh, was. I mean, they had the video screens behind them, uh, so that because uh, we were pretty far away, so we could actually see them. So that was nice. But just the the sort of I don't know antics is that the right word the w- what they were doing while they were playing it's moving back and forth interacting with each other uh the lead singer uh, the lead guitarist i believe i looked this up i believe the lead guitarist is the founder of the band the, oh, the only okay. original member i think oh interesting i think i hope i'm not wrong about that but just the, the, the stage presence and their song the songs by the, uh, in of themselves it was just amazing and uh yeah i think we're all thunder mother fan- fans now <laughs> Well, yeah, we all, we all, uh, we all got shirts and got them signed. So, I think we're part of the fan club. But then, of course, there was you know scorpions. Oh yeah. Um, I mean, come on. Um, uh, Rocky like a Rocky hurricane. like a hurricane. Um, send me an angel. Uh, Winds of change. Yep. A wind of change. And then Jesse, you really were a fan of Big City Nights. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my <laughs> gosh. I listened to that one a couple times this week. Uh, it was. Uh, it, uh, it. I don't know. It really uh, rung my bell. I guess. <laughs> I don't know. I, I thought that. I, I thought that was a pretty tame song. I mean, the crowd really wasn't into it or anything like that. Well, Big that. City Nights was their <laughs> was the main. I don't know the right terminology for this, but there's the main show. Even though there's a guaranteed 100% going to be a, an encore. Right. Big City Nights was their cl- sort of final song of the main show. And then they came, came back and did the two more songs, um, one of which was Rocky Like a Hurricane. That was the final, that was the final song, wasn't it? Yeah, I think yeah. so. Yeah. yeah. But man, oh man, uh, again, I wish I remembered the names of all the performers because the lead singer is uh, the original lead singer of Scorpions. Um and oh god, they were so good. Uh, we uh, my, my ears were ringing for the, a, w- a week <laughs> after that. So um, anything else happen uh in the last week, week, week and a half or so that uh, was momentous for anyone? We took like uh, I mean, uh, if you're a regular listener out there in the audience, uh, you notice we've uh. Uh, didn't release a podcast last week, so uh, that's because, uh, I mean, a confluence of events. Sometimes, you know, you just can't make it happen, but um, last week uh, uh, I celebrated my uh, eighth wedding anniversary um, and went out on a uh, uh, hike in the Mount Hood National Forest uh, to Tamanawanis Falls, I believe it is. I I might be saying the name wrong. That's definitely where we went, but... uh, I got the name wrong. I apologize, but that was a lot of fun. Um, I've been uh, recently, this past August, uh, I uh, I don't exactly know why. I guess it was actually on a trip Laura and I took to the coast to get away from the the summer heat here in Portland. We were going to be having a heat wave, and everybody knows what do you do when it's 100 degrees in Portland? You head to the coast. Um, So we got up early and 
stopped at a winery on the way to the coast uh actually did a little the winery had a little like uh hike you could go around their vineyards and uh it was a but it was a prescribed like mile hike and then we planned a waterfall hike when we got to the beach uh um so i guess that's actually what got me started but i started uh back in august doing like basically regular hiking uh, i've been hiking uh, most weeks twice a week and um uh actually last week's waterfall hike to tamanawanas falls uh, on our anniversary was actually now my third most recent hikes because i've hiked twice since then but uh it was a lot of fun uh get to see a really cool waterfall it's like i think it's over 100 feet tall it's uh and you're it's not like in our area, um, a lot of people probably are familiar with Multnomah Falls because it's like the tall, it's one of the tallest waterfalls in the, maybe it's not the tallest, but I think it's probably, isn't the tallest west of the Rockies? Is that the designation? Because um, I don't think it's tall as like Niagara Falls. Um, or that fall in Yosemite? Maybe it is. I don't know, but it's very tall. Multnomah Falls is one of the tallest waterfalls. And the Columbia Gorge is like one of the most densest areas to see waterfalls, and there's tons of hiking trails and everything. But it's not that often, like, you don't see that many really tall waterfalls, like, on Mount Hood or on, you know, like, mountain, like, on the side of mountains. And this is one where, like, I mean, you're, you're hiking, you know, up a sort of like most of these things, you're hiking kind of up a river gorge and sort of on the side, you know, a little bit of cliffside, a little bit of hillside. There's a couple of big like areas where like the um, trail is no longer marked like a trail. You have to like sort of climb across like rocks or you know scramble around rocks to get through. Uh, uh, wait, what, what, uh, which trail are you talking about specifically? To Monowanis Falls. Okay, you're back to that. Okay. Sorry. Yeah, I guess I'm uh, rambling a little bit about these waterfalls, but um, but yeah, there's at least like maybe three tenths of a mile where you're not you know walking you're sort of not not exactly climbing but uh, I, I guess there's a term called scrambling you probably know this, the term scrambling more than i do but would you say that that that's loosely defined as you need to have like a hand to navigate rather than just you know your feet um it to me that means that you're climbing over rocks but you don't need any gear okay yeah like, reg like ropes or something so i was thinking like you know walking or hiking is two feet required scrambling is you know so like necessarily like one point of contact with the ground at all times um no you should always maintain two points well no if you're walking you have one foot off the ground <laughs> no 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 you, yeah. uh, you have to you have to hop no, <laughs> that's, well then you have well then you have no contact that's different uh, have i been doing it wrong this whole time <laughs> no I, I i guess i don't know i don't know why uh why this thought crossed my mind but i was trying to define while i was on this trail i was thinking in my mind that try because i haven't really like i'm not an accomplished hiker or a very, very well educated hiker but i was trying to think of like the terminology and what it means and i was thinking well walking you know you have your two feet one foot's on the ground one foot stepping or whatever scrambling i figured means you have at all times at least two points of contact like one foot you know, and you could be climbing with your other foot, but you're using a hand or something to steady you or or, or sort of, you know, pull yourself up or something. And then climbing is more similar, like, unless you're, like, a really skilled, high-skilled climber that can, like, do really advanced maneuvers. Like, climbing like would be more like... Like climb or something? Yeah. 
but the, like climbing would be more like a three points of contact thing, like where you have, you know, you use both hands and both feet, but then you reposition one, usually one at a time. But uh, that's probably not the proper definition. That's just kind of how I was thinking about it. But there's a lot of, to get to Tamawanas Falls, it's about a four mile round trip. Um, and about, I don't know, 15% of that is over rocks and uh, climbing through rocks and things. And, uh, and then you get to this huge, like over a hundred foot tall waterfall. It's got a nice pool and like, you know, uh, saw a lot of when people are there with some people were there with their dogs or dogs or would, you know, run out into the pool and chase a stick or, um, it wasn't quite a hot enough day for me to want to take my shoes off and get in the water, uh, but it was certainly something that, like, on a hotter day, I probably would have been tempted to do. But, uh, and then, uh, yeah, so, like I said, I've been hiking a lot. Uh, uh, that was that was last week. And then um, afterwards, uh, went to a winery and, uh, what do you call it, a fruit, like a orchard? Yeah, yeah. like an orchard. And did some you-pick fruits and then had a bunch of their beers and ciders and wines and that sort of wiped me out, uh, so I wasn't uh, I wasn't able to uh, wasn't able to participate in the podcast last week. So, uh, long story short, uh, hiking. Uh, uh, the more I hike, the less I podcast. So to sum up, um, uh, happy anniversary! Yes, uh, come to come to Oregon for our uh, beautiful gorge and waterfalls, uh, and don't hike and drink. Uh yeah, I wouldn't hike and drink. Save it till afterwards. Which one, the hiking or the drinking? Wait, the, wait, the, the uh, drinking. I said that, I said that wrong. <laughs> don't don't drink and hike, but hike then drink. That's fine. Yeah, yes. do do both, just not concurrently. Indeed. Yeah. A lot any, of that. Any new business? Any more new business? Well, if I can give a plug to something that's uh, I th- I'd say uniquely the uniquely northwest. Uh, I spent the last few days at um, uh, w- one of these uh, several McMinniman's properties around Oregon and Washington. I actually forget how many properties they have now. Many. Many, yes, uh, which is why they have a passport where you can visit them and collect stamps and et cetera. Um, but the one that I was at, uh, uh, the, one, the one that I spent the most time at was their Elks Temple in Tacoma, Washington. And uh, I can give that you know, three thumbs up. Uh, that's a <laughs> that's a that's a nice place. Um, if you're a fan of tiki bars, if you're a fan of Spanish steps, if you're a fan of secret bars, then El- Elks oh. Temple is the place for you. Uh, also, if you uh, don't mind uh, terrible parking, uh, then uh, yeah, El- Elks Temple. I think I said Lodge earlier. Yeah, it's, it's the Elks Temple. It's a former Elks Temple, uh, the BPOE, the ben- Benevolent, Benevolent Peoples. Protectorate. Oh, oh, Benevolent. Yeah, you're right. Um, you're right. Order of the Elks. Order of the Elks. Yeah. Um, the what? What? Uh, I can't remember how much we discussed this in the podcast, but real quick, McMenamins is a is a company in the uh, Oregon and Washington area. Uh, what they typically do is find existing structures, buildings, properties, um, refurbish them, give it their own unique style, which I don't know the best way to describe it. Eclectic doesn't seem to do it justice. Uh, yeah, I mean, um, uh, eclectic and uh, bohemian, maybe? Yeah, I, th- I think 
I think that fits. It's all um, like you know, hand painted uh, art. Uh, they tried to whenever restoring a property, they tried to pay pay homage to it in some way, maintain the historic character, but add their own spin to it. Um, uh, the I can one one of the commonalities is that m- a lot of the men's rooms have gigantic urinals in them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't know why that's a common thing, but G- giant porcelain. Claw-footed. That's obviously not what they're best known for, but I mean, I've I've noticed it. They they do lots of they do lots of dark uh, and custom woodwork, like you said, a lot of hand painting. They they have an they have an in-house artist and uh, um, like wood wood refinisher. Um, They also do uh, a lot of uh, use like exposed plumbing and electrical uh, fixtures as uh, decor and art, and they oftentimes paint them. um and what else do they do uh yeah they sometimes do custom like custom art on the exterior of their properties uh and gardens and it, um their larger properties uh have i mean a lot of them have like hotels um the, the larger ones ha- will have their own breweries or even their own distillery in some cases and uh it, it, all of their properties are a good place to go to get a drink grab a bite um the smaller ones that, i mean they have they have a few cafes for example that the you maybe you can play some pool or something but they're larger properties you can wander around check out the art um might be concerts things like that there's entertainment venues like for concerts uh I, we I, i'm f- fairly certain we've mentioned edgefield uh, at this point in the podcast by now i think so yeah edgefield is the closest is is like their to me i think it's their crown jewel yeah, definitely. I think it's one of their biggest properties. Isn't it, it's it? got to be. Um, it, it's definitely the biggest. Yeah. In terms of just the square, f- you know, s- acreage, uh, and, and in terms of the number of bars and uh, restaurants on property. Well, and, the, and they have both a brewery, a winery, and a distillery there, yep. don't they? Plus, yeah. plus, plus a, a golf course, spa, a, spa, a hotel, soaking, uh, soaking pool part of the spa. But yeah, uh, they they hold in the summer. Uh, they hold a, their their a concert series. Uh, what they have a it's not it's not an amphitheater. They have a stage with some outdoor seating. Anywho, uh, all this just suffice it to say. Um, uh, I I spent I spent the weekend at Elk Elk's Temple. Uh, I also uh between here and Elk's Temple are a few other places. Columbia Harbor Lodge, their newest. Centralia has the uh, Olympic Hotel. Uh, in Olympia, Washington, there's the Spar Cafe. I got, took my passport with me. Got, got completed the stamps for all four of those properties. Yeah, we're um, we're all three passport holders. Uh, in fact, uh, my passport is probably about sixty five percent complete. Uh, um, my wife and I uh, have been working on it together for a number of years, and uh, James and uh, Joash more recently uh, became passport holders and are going to be catching up but as you complete your passport visiting different McMinimans locations and uh sort of finishing little quests or tasks like um sampling a flight of ales or sampling a flight of uh ciders you know might uh, get you a stamp or uh, watching a movie at a McMinimans property you know, get you a stamp you know for example once you complete like for example the um the Edgefield has uh i think 10 stamps to complete uh, you know, you get a stamp for each different bar you go to, um, and each task you complete while there. 
and uh, you get a prize once you complete. So like at Edgefield, I think the prize was a $20 McMinimins gift card or something like that. Um, and somewhere else it might be that you get to choose a piece of merch like a beer koozie or a t-shirt or a keychain or you know something of that nature. And if you're frequently, if you're frequent, well, yeah, let me try that again. If you're frequenting uh, McMinimins properties anyway, you make back way more than the cost of the passport and the prizes and things like that. Yeah, it's just a fun pastime too. I mean, that doesn't count the cost of uh, the the beer and food that you're probably buying along the way. Oh, sure. That's why. I, that's <laughs> why I'm saying if you if you frequent the if you frequent McMinimins yeah, that's, anyway, that's incidental because yeah. you're going to assume that you're already doing those things. <laughs> McMinimins also has a few other programs going on. Um, the name escapes me, but it's it, there, there's some sort of uh, thing you can do if you stay at McMinimins hotels a lot, like the order of the pillows or something like that. Yeah, I did. I did see that they have like where, where if you stay at a certain number of hotels of theirs during a certain period of time, you'll get like an additional uh, prize or or a discount or something like that. Yeah, between the just the the beauty of uh, the properties and just just being there and experiencing them for what they are, from the merchandise to the experiences that they offer, McMinimins is is kind of like a I mean it's it's they're all most of them at least are destinations in and of themselves and it's just an experience to do it that's that I think is uniquely northwest yeah so yeah I, I sort of describe them as a it's it's not like uh, they're not as um, uh, singular and independent as like if you're uh, you know curating your own experiences but as far as a all-encompassing Northwest like brand, they're they're like a essentially like a um, sort of protector of the you know Portland uh, kind of vibe, but not just in Portland, kind of beyond Portland. Port- Portland, Seattle, whatever similarities Portland and Seattle share, so does McMinimins. Hmm. And one last thing I'll say is that if you're in the Tacoma area and you're in the mood for a nice tiki bar, check out the old hangout at the Elks Temple. Uh, highly recommended. I think it's my new favorite bar on any McMinniman's property. Yeah, I'm I'm jealous because I've been wanting to get to that one for a while. So hopefully, uh, hopefully we'll knock it off the list soon. Hopefully one day. Well, shall we move into talking about the shows that we've been following for the past few weeks. Oh, they still have TV shows? Oh. Uh, well, I mean... I almost forgot about those. More, more streaming. <laughs> yeah, we sort of uh, jumped, I mean, uh, just because of the nature of time. <laughs> right, yeah. We sort of uh, have jumped and, uh, uh, you know, consumed a few episodes since the last time we talked. But, <laughs> um, yeah, it's been, in- it's been interesting, though. I mean, uh, we're all... Uh, I mean, I don't. I don't think I'm going out on a limb to say we're all fans of uh, the Rings of Power. Am I? Is that uh, is that a bold statement? <laughs> well, for starting with that one, then uh, then hell yeah, we're fans of Rings of Power. I mean, we're yeah. all we're all Tolkien buffs here. Yeah. Yes, but uh, we're not. Are we we're not like without criticisms though either, right? No. Uh, yeah. I'm, uh, so here's what I'll say. I enjoyed. I enjoyed the first season of Rings of Power. I'm looking forward to the second season of Rings of Power. I think there were a couple of things that I'm a little confused by, and obviously they're 
they're deviating from some of the source material, I think, in in certain ways. But but not nothing egregious where I'm like, oh, rah 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 rah, rah. I'm not rah 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 that sort of thing. Well, I don't know. I don't. I, I don't know because I haven't read the Silmarillion for a long time. Uh, I don't know. How, I don't know which way in which ways they're deviating necessarily. Uh, I, I assess what they're doing is inventing or uh, 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 making storylines where Tolkien didn't have the chance to do it himself before he died, basically. Uh, partially. I mean, so if we just want to, if we, I mean, so obviously there's two episodes that that we can cover material in, but to just kind of jump into it, I think one of the things that we've talked about is how the star man if for lack of a better <laughs> for lack of a better term for for who he is the the stranger oh. the man who fell from the sky oh right. Right. meteor i call him meteor man. yeah <laughs> so so i think we've we've you know we've all said it seems like it's gandalf but that doesn't seem to make sense because gandalf was supposed to have heard have appeared in the third age you're right but it was all but confirmed in the season finale that this is gandalf because he he's trying to find the the way to he, he he's trying to get to somewhere and he and when um uh what's her name not nori nori thank you when nori asks him where are you going he sniffs and then says in that direction and she says why and he says well, i don't know it just smells better that way you know well yeah he I mean which is exactly what gandalf did in uh, the um, fellowship of the ring and the fellowship right. of the ring in the minds of Moria. So, I think yeah, you're right. It's basically all but confirmed that's Gandalf, and don't know how they're going to reconcile that. Uh, I'm still confused by who the uh, three. I don't. I don't. I mean, want... they, well, I've heard him referred to as the ascetics. Uh, like they're like a. I don't know. I'm not sure if I'm saying that word right. It's like a. Basically, like they're like sort of religious cultists of some sort. But isn't one of them and like one of them's got to be an Ish- Ishari, don't they? Because uh, they use magic. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's I don't know if it's necessarily uh, hard canon that you have to be supernatural, like uh, that you know a person can't use magic. I mean, maybe. Well, well the elves have a magic of their own, but they're it's also very vague yeah. magic. Yeah. But, so yeah, it seems like, but also. Um, uh, I've also heard him referred to as the Swedish death metal band, but, <laughs> uh, uh, but yeah. So <clears throat> I don't know. To me, uh, so I'll just say one thing about like sort of departures from uh, existing lore canon. Um, a lot. And I don't have all this stuff handy. I I haven't done like exhaustive research, but um, for almost every time when someone has. Ri- ri- uh, made the point that that's not how it was in the book or whatever. Um, people have online or people in like scholarly Tolkien, you know, folks have done different research and been able to pull like, cause Tolkien had like just like mountains of manuscripts and like it correspondence with his friends and other writers and publishers and, and his son, Christopher, and not all of it made it into a book. But there's like tons of correspondence. And just for example, um, the on the Gandalf arriving in the Third Age thing, that's in the books. Yes, it's written that way, which you know would 
would say, you know, you would say that that's canon. But the way they're making this story is that they're pulling from all different parts of even things that weren't published. Like, so, like, there was a passage that somebody found in, like, a letter he wrote to, a, uh, like, a Simon & Schuster-type publisher or something that, uh, you know, just to propose, like, a story he was trying to publish. And it said that, uh, you know, I don't know, maybe Gandalf, uh, you know, maybe he arrived and wandered around during the Second Age or something. And it was just in a letter to, you know, it wasn't p- written into a book. It wasn't, you know, a story he p- fleshed out. But they're pulling, like, also in the Silmarillion, most versions of the Silmarillion, uh, there's a, like, it's not technically a preface, uh, but it's a passage, another letter that he wrote to somebody else where he describes, and it's not in the text of the Silmarillion, it's like a kind of like a foreword sort of thing. But it's where, where he describes, so we're, I'm going to jump a little bit, but he's describing the actions of Sauron in the Second Age. And in, in like I said, it's not in the text. It's just a letter he wrote to somebody. He says, um, he said, after the fall of Morgoth, Sauron, uh, uh, essentially, I don't have the exact wording here, but essentially he repented. And uh, um, at first he wanted to return to Valinor and uh and be for you know uh, be forgiven or whatever, um, but he wasn't sure what the punishment that he would get would be, and so then he decided to stay in Middle Earth and try to make things better, and uh, and they said that this wasn't done in a deceptive or like uh, uh, it wasn't done falsely or whatever, um, but eventually uh, uh, because the pull of something or other like Morgoth you know was on his on his heart was strong uh eventually he fell back to like his dark ways or whatever but like you know there there was a time essentially Tolkien this letter he wrote somebody said that in the second age Sauron genuinely uh repented for his you know what he did wrong and and was trying to make amends for it uh but he just wasn't strong enough or whatever it doesn't seem like that's kind of the direct it doesn't seem like that's the direction they're going in this show it seems like the direction they're going is that he at least based on what we've been told, and I don't know if we're hearing it from an unreliable narrator or not, but from what we're being told is that he, after Morgoth was defeated, he went up to the north and attempted to create uh, orcs and whatnot from from the elves that he was able to get over to his side. And then this Arda... Is it Arda, the guy? Adar. Adar, thank you. This Adar guy apparently destroyed him, and he was brought back as... Because he... Sauron is Ishtari, isn't he? Maiar. He's yeah, Maiar. But, uh, Ishtari were a order of Maiar sent to Middle-earth uh, to counter Sauron. But. Okay, so he... No, that's right, he's Maiar. Uh, and so they... They are not, you know, their souls are basically reincarnated in a manner. So when he came back, apparently, in w- within the show, he came back as Lord Halberd and... Halbrand? Halbrand, thank you. And, um, and that's who he is, which is interesting because, obviously, we saw his influence on Celebrimbor. Um, 
I'm interested to see if they carry on with the rest of, of kind of what's loosely known about what Sauron did in the Second Age, which I won't go into just for the sake of spoilers um, or possible spoilers. What did you guys think of? Because, I mean, Jesse, you you pretty much nailed it. Wasn't that your theory that Lord Halbrand was yeah, yeah, so Sauron and that like you 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 pretty much nailed it, I think. Yeah, somewhat. Uh, so I guess just to clarify, like the way the show presented everything to us, like in the first episode, the little uh, like um, preface where they were showing the northern wasteland and uh, the way, I mean, if we go through all the way till like the part where Adar was explaining how uh, Sauron was experimenting on orcs and then later we uh, find out that... Uh, um, when uh you know he was then you know encountered Gladriel on the raft on the way to you know Numenor or whatever um the way i interpreted all of that like and it wasn't necessarily all shown in the show but uh he, at that time like he was he was doing these dark deeds but he was doing it in a way of trying to he wanted to heal and repair middle earth and the experiments on the orcs were he was trying to craft the magic that eventually he would use to create the One Ring, but he was trying to do it to give himself enough power to to fix the 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 destruction that was done to Middle Earth, but and, and re, essentially they call it like reorder Middle Earth. But he was doing it in a way that where he would have to dominate. Uh, middle earth in order to do so so it's kind of like it, it sort of like leads to me to like the idea of like a country like after a war the country that that you know waged war on some area going in and sort of trying to do reconstruction <laughs> but they have to do it with you know at the point of a rifle you know they have to hold guns and, and maintain force. maintain peace at the at the butt of a or at the, yeah, yeah yeah and not to get serious about things like in the real world here but that's kind of how i figured like what they were getting at with like sauron uh was doing with like the magic the experiments the darkness and um but yeah i guess uh um then he wanted to but yeah i think everything they said like in the early episodes where he was meeting galadriel and going to numenor every step of the way he was um kind of straight with her he said you know i'm from the southlands uh and um i'm fleeing the southlands like essentially i think he was fleeing from adar because he uh later said that he she didn't know what he'd done he'd done evil things and 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 you know it's just like he was saying when he uh in the final episode he sort of went into gladrell's mind and was having sort of a dialogue with her through the um, voice of her brother. That's how I interpreted it mostly. Yeah. Um, and he said, you know, uh, I was trying to fix things um, and just the way he, we're meant to interpret, just the way he was trying to fix them was like he said, through like an iron grip, an iron grip. And, um, but all along, you know, he, he resisted going back to middle earth. He wanted to stay. seems like he wanted to stay in, uh, and, Numenor and kind of make a new life for himself or at least sort of just disappear for a while uh, and hang out there. <laughs> he didn't really want to go. Maybe he was sort of manipulating things to where others would sort of do his bidding for him to get him back. But 
but you know, he said, no, I, I just want to, I don't want to go back there. And she said, no, we want you to go back there. We want to put you back there. You're the boss. You're the king, you know? And that was sort of like, you know, do you, I wonder if, if it is a genuine like attempt at redemption or if he's just, cause he's also like portrayed as like this great deceiver. So maybe that maybe it's I don't know that that would it's interesting to see what that would be. I think he's being set up to be a master manipulator of ever since we, we saw him on the raft and what he did there. Everything that he's done, I think, has been w- with intent to get to where he is at the end of season one. I think you might be right, though, Jesse, because you had said um uh, in the last podcast, I think that, you know, like on his way out of the Southlands, maybe he stopped <laughs> and like in blighted, <laughs> yeah, and blighted the tree. Like obviously getting that mithril was part, was of, part his, of his uh, plan. Seems like it. Uh, because it was, as soon as he got to Eregion, um, uh, uh, as soon as he got there, uh, he spotted that ore and said, oh, that's an interesting uh, rock you got there. <laughs> Yeah, well, um, maybe you could uh I, I find it a little incredulous that Celebrimbor, who's supposedly the the you know, a, a great master in and of itself, whose yeah. father was like one of the greatest smiths Wh- ever wouldn't have like the wouldn't idea <laughs> no to like, oh, maybe I could make an alloy or something like that. He they also like I mean it's kind of like, you know, nit nitpicking just for the purpose of like nitpicking, but uh it, I was a little disappointed by how just how chumpy they kind of made Celebrimbor into right. like to be like <laughs> as soon as like Halbrand shows up and like you know basically uh, he's just out of surgery and he's able to like completely wrap Celebrimbor around his pinky finger and like get him to do exactly what he wants with like is I mean is that guy really that like gullible like yeah, there's you know the elves I get I get I guess. Uh, I guess what you're supposed to see is the elves are, you're supposed to sort of, the way I feel about it is they want me to go, oh, the elves are very, uh, what do you call it, like prideful or boastful or um, um, they're uh, not arrogant necessarily, but they can't imagine how, uh, you know, anyone else except for their way would be the best way and... uh, well, the elves are supposed to be enlightened. They've, uh, they've, you know, they, 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 they've been, they, they grew up in Valinor. They have direct knowledge of basically how the world works. Yeah. Um, in Middle Earth, they're basically the next to the, like the Maiar, uh, are the the most like knowledgeable people about the 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 real w- workings of the world, and and the, their knowledge you know surpasses everyone else's. And I've spoken before about the amount of cliches that we've seen in the writing of Rings of Power. And I think that the key points, uh, the, key, the key plot points that they've hit in Rings of Power have been, you know, interesting. Uh, but the way they get to them is, you know, pedantic and uh, pedestrian or just you know, pretty basic. Case in point, uh, when uh, uh, Galadriel gets the, uh, the, hist- the, the, the history of the kings of the Southlands and realizes that Halbrand, his story doesn't fit. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it just confronts Halbrand by herself. Yeah. Uh, maybe she didn't realize that Sauron, uh, he could have been Sauron, but 
then all that stuff where she goes into her own mind and all that stuff happens. What does she do when she gets out of that? Uh, she does that thing that happens in movies a lot where she keeps all of the crucial knowledge to right. herself. Yeah. <laughs> she says, oh, wh- where, where is so-and-so where, in this case? Where, wh- where is Halbrand? And then just runs off without explaining herself. Why do you ask? Oh, nothing. Well, um, just one scene uh, that uh, I wanted to point out that it's not a it's not a big scene and it's not like a like a plot wise a super important scene, but it it really spoke, you know, it really was impactful to me was when Galadriel first uh, essentially made the decision that she had realized that Halbrand was Sauron and went to stab him or to try to kill him or whatever and he like effortlessly blocked her thrust and that was like chilling to me because we'd seen basically through the entire show every single time she'd been in any kind of a like encounter were shown like how superior she is to every other uh, uh, person even uh, trolls and other elves and the Numenorean soldiers and, uh, you know, in every occasion she's, you know, I mean, orders, maybe if, if anything like orders of magnitude, more powerful, you know, strength wise. And he just effortlessly stopped her. And, uh, that was sort of chilling to me, but, um, I guess what I was trying to say a minute ago though, was, uh, um, the, the, the failings of, the elves in the show they're showing us that her, uh Gladriel was uh hampered and negatively affected by her desire for revenge her lust for revenge and blood and it blinded her to it, it made her very vulnerable and the same thing for Calabrimbor his desire and um you know I guess that's it. Just this deep, deep desire to create something of beauty and power uh, made him, you know, uh, when when you're just so singular minded and singular focused, uh, you're very uh, blind to these other things around you. Uh, well, it, you, you'll latch on to a- any resources you find along the way that'll help further your goal. Right. Like you said, Galadriel latched on to Halbrand not only because he saved her life but because she saw him as a mechanism to further her goal to pursue... To get to Middle-earth, yeah. To get to, to get to Middle-earth and to build an army to you know, fight the, the thing that, was, you know, that she knew was gathering in the Southlands. It just never even occurred to her that uh, she was dealing with something that was a part of that. She just uh, was only see- seeking her own ends. Same with Celebrimbor. Uh, he wanted to you know, create something... You know, worthy of elves you know uh, something to rival uh Feanor's, uh creations and along comes halbrand v- very suddenly which is a writing, <laughs> writing issue sure yeah. very suddenly just sways him and has him think of things he's never thought of even though he's been around for thousands of years yes yes uh, sauron we we realize you know uh, you know halbrand has you know has been around for even longer but it was just a very sudden switch uh, I mean, Celebrimbor is supposed to be like the like master craftsman, like you said. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I never even thought of doing anything else other than uh, trying to get the Mithril to you know 
do what I want. Uh, I, I didn't even consider any of the other uh, other metals in this world. Blah blah. blah. <laughs> yeah. So it was kind of interesting. Uh, I mean, just uh, a lot of the um, just the arc of the was it the eighth? Yeah, the eighth episode. The arc of the eighth episode was really nice uh, to me because they did they did really clean up a lot of the problems I had with earlier episodes. I mean. Um, they tied closed most of the most of the weird mystery boxes that were left, you know, dangling for so long. I mean, the stranger, uh, Halbrand, um, those those couple of things uh, were tied closed. The two things that I still have a little bit of uh, an issue with were um, the politics in Numenor, what what in the heck's going on with the daughter? The daughter's whole thing didn't make a whole lot of sense. Um, the brother that was mentioned uh, that's on the western shores of Numenor, they never really addressed that at all. It was just sort of a uh, uh, kind of left to, you know, speculate. Like, it, it was mentioned in... It Wh- was, which brother? Uh, uh, an Aryan, Hel- uh, Isildur, and... Uh, um, I forgot her name. Uh, yeah, uh, Elendil's daughter. But they've mentioned a brother he has on the western shore that's like the faithful. Uh, um, mm. And he was, I mean, his, his, his the reason he washed out of the Sea Guard was he wanted to go to the western shore and uh, go do what his brother was doing, essentially. Uh, so that was kind of left uh, um, to guesswork. Um, and then uh, the... Some of the some of the best stuff in the whole thing, like they tied up in the seventh episode, which was the Elrond and Durin relationship, which was great, uh, but it was left sort of, I wouldn't say like on a cliffhanger. It was just sort of like set aside for the final episode because we don't really know. Like we know that Durin's been essentially, you know, cat. You know, he's been uh, what you call de inherited or or whatever. Yeah. Um, and uh, they're not going to be digging the mithril, although, uh, spoiler warning, they are going to be digging the mithril. Yeah. Um, oh, and the, then, fact that the, the fact that we saw a balrog yeah, at and the then, end of that episode. Right, and then the leaf, and then the leaf wakes up the balrog. So, I mean, so we have, we have that. Uh, um, and so to me, like, you know, there's, the, the, the like I said, the last episode was a huge improvement because they tied closed a lot of stuff and um and set us up for a pretty good place to pick up season two um but over overall for me like i just it was just a a slog through like the episodes were fun but there was like big stretches of like episodes i think like four through six maybe even three through six ish where the plot never really moved forward and it just sort of like uh kind of spun its wheels a bit and they could have spent a lot of that time doing stuff with uh the sauron deception with the elves or the decisions to forge the rings or um gilgalad uh you know you know wrestling with decisions uh about how to relate how to do relations with the dwarves or you know things like that um i still can't get past how that uh elven the formerly elven watchtower that the humans retreated to <laughs> uh was apparently constructed by Sauron's uh, supporters 
with a uh, with a with self destruct mechanism. Yeah. <laughs> um, the, 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 the elves were there for I don't know how many decades slash centuries. I don't know how long. Uh, uh, what's his name? The elf that was it, was it was seventy years, I think, is what yeah, they Ar- said. Arondir was there for seventy four years. He yeah. said. Well, even yeah, that it could have been longer than that, though, because he may have just been that's there. That's true. That yeah, that watchtower had been in there for longer, I think. But uh, so Arondir was there for seventy years. He knew that there was a um, fr- um the, the, a, a behind relief the, behind the ivy. <laughs> yeah, behind the ivy, there was a relief of uh, this evil thing, and on the floor, surely somebody had noticed that there was a hole there. Um. And uh, never mind that, but w- apparently when that whole thing was constructed, which apparently the elves didn't even build it, uh, somebody managed to construct it in a way that um, turning this little thing with this m- m- key that you have to build up by you know, tapping near, the, building it with blood. Uh, it was an Indiana Jones episode. The, the, mecha- <laughs> I mean, the mechanism, it wasn't just a, a river. It was three or three, three, three tiers that were destroyed. So the, the 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 river, whatever that was called, the Udun or the um, I don't know what the river was named. The valley was like the Udun or the the plains of Gorgoroth was where it, uh, I think was where it was, uh, but I don't know what it was called on the map. I think the valley was the valley of Udun. Uh, yeah. The river, I don't know what it was called, but whoever constructed that, and again, it was a three tiered construction. Thought, okay, what what we're gonna do is make this so that it can all collapse and. F- flood the caldera of this uh this mountain and, and cause it to erupt in you know that's you know decades slash centuries in the future i mean what yeah it was it Seriously? was weird it was really weird because i mean they did they did lay the groundwork a little bit they did say at one point like uh eight i think it was adar no it was uh when they were in numenor they were in the hall of lore i think it was and they were looking at these this scroll that somebody found, and they said it speaks of a plan to d- be enacted in the case of Morgoth's defeat. Uh, and that's I think that's the plan. Like, is you're supposed to you're supposed to go to the Southlands and activate Mount Doom. And that's where all of the evil. It's where all of the orcs uh, can live uh, or whatever. But I mean that that's just very neat and tidy. If I mean like it's I mean, convenient. Yeah. Did Morgoth <laughs> come up with that plan? And if so, was it his plan? To fail and then create a uh, a new homeland for the result of his efforts, uh, right? Or d- was it not Morgoth's plan? In which case, who built that effing watchtower in the first place? Yeah, because it wasn't the elves, because they didn't build it to destroy yeah. itself and then, like that. And then people, uh, I've heard questions raised that made a lot of sense. Like, uh, uh, if the elves were there that whole time, and like you said, they knew about this uh, this sort of. I don't know what you call it, like hieroglyphic or whatever that was built into the wall. Uh, like, did they did they build that uh, to, as a warning? Like, going hey, make sure here's a diagram of like what could go wrong. Don't let don't let this sword get here. <laughs> like, is this a warning from like the people who built it? Like, make sure because here's the keyhole. Make sure that the key doesn't ever get in the keyhole. Otherwise, otherwise it's going to be like a big monster stabbing a person. Like, or or is that like instructions left by the construct? You know, people that constructed it. And yeah, it it didn't make a whole lot of sense. It also the just the writers the writers hopefully they just learn a little bit from maybe the criticisms they'll hear like it, everybody loves watching the show we all we all want it to continue and but maybe maybe they'll just like hear a few of the criticisms and like take a little more um, thought into how they break the season next year uh, next season um, and 
you know, get the pacing right and get more character motivations right and just have less like weird. Cause like when the mountain erupted, I mean, it looked awesome, but you can't have a mountain erupt because people understand uh, that when mountains erupt and you're in the blast zone of the mountain, uh, that you don't just all of a sudden wake up the, a, a few minutes later and like one person's dead and everybody else is fine. Like uh, <laughs> it's called being flash fried. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I don't care if you're an elephant or a human or what. Yeah, there's you're, there's like yeah, there's skeletons like in islands in the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, Pompeii, where, where people are like frozen in lava like for millennia. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, and just like I think what w- they spent so much time between Galadriel and Halbrand about, no, you, you you need to seize your birthright as the king. You need to be the king. I'm not, I'm not meant to be the king. Yeah. No, you need to do it. You need to be the king. And then they go over, are you the king that was promised? Yes, oh, I yes, am. I am. Yay! And then, <laughs> oh, Mount, and, then, and then Mount Doom. Everyone's dead. <laughs> he gets stabbed. He goes, he's Sauron. What, I mean, what oh, was yeah. the purpose oh, yeah, yeah. of spending all that time on that buildup if oh, it yeah. wasn't going to pay off in any way? We watched, we watched, we've all seen the Fellowship of the Ring. We know it takes the Fellowship, like, what, four months to get from Rivendell to, to Mordor? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but they rode they rode their uh, Galadriel and Halbrand yes. uh, who with a mortal with a, essentially a mortal wound rode from Mordor to Aragion which is like three quarters of the way to uh, uh, to um, uh, what do they say to um, uh, Rivendell like yes. three quarters of the way there and four days without stopping six days oh six days has anybody heard of a horse that can go for six days without stopping I'd also like to know of a guy who can have a mortal wound be on a horse going blah, blah, for blah, six blah, days blah, blah. <laughs> or, an, or an elf that thinks this is perfectly normal for a human just to endure a mortal wound for six days <laughs> that's true I mean has she not met a human before anyway anyway <laughs> it's just it's just the, uh, yeah very I, funny stuff but Good, good. It, it was like uh, some of the stuff just was a little bit kind of like seasons five through seven of Game of Thrones, <laughs> where it's like all of a sudden you have a time, person time teleporting. Yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> T- to me, it mean, it, it suggests that the writers are rings of power. I'm, I'm not saying they didn't put any effort into it because clearly they did, but... They, uh, I, I, I actually, I, and I don't know when the scripts were written relative to like Game of Thrones or whatever, but they clearly didn't think about the fact that they're building on a lore which is, um, you know, decades old. Uh, it's getting kind of close to almost a century, but not quite. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, it has a significant fan base, um, in, in a way that is different from things like Star Wars and. And, and whatnot uh it, it it just feels like they didn't necessarily spend as much time thinking things through as they could have because they they should have known if they didn't think about it that things were going to get picked apart instantaneously uh, on a show uh, uh you know about you know tolkien's universe they and then they should have just i'm not a writer so i don't know what they really should have done but spending some more time on it would have been a good idea i think just to shore up some of the you know, plot lines, uh, rely a little less on you know cliches, which is again my go-to criticism. I have to admit, but it comes up an awful lot in, in the series. Um, the 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 writing really should just stand out as being 
you know, ab uh, above everything else just because of its pedigree. I mean, it's, you know, J.R.R. Tolkien, you know, he, he, he invented several languages for crying out loud. You know, um, I just feel like I, I don't want to dismiss the efforts that the writers have put into it because I'm sure it took a lot of effort and they had to jump through a lot of hoops, I'm guessing. But it just feels like they missed the mark a little bit on, you know, maybe in the, maybe in the next season they can step it up a little bit. I, I don't I, 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 I kind of regret saying that because I don't know if I'm criticizing the right people or not, but that's just how I feel. I, I think opt I, I'm pretty optimistic that the next season will improve because um, largely because your 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 statements about not placing criticism where it's not due is is very good. Um, how how this show being the most expensive show ever made or the most money invested in in producing the show ever made it's it's just very interesting that the showrunners that they did pick are these two guys um uh i forget their exact jd and patrick i think uh um who have very very little uh, writing experience in television like these are almost what would be considered like not not necessarily rookies like they have a couple of show writing credits like they've written a few episodes of, of TV shows but they haven't run in, like any shows on their own they haven't done any like uh, like award winning uh, episodes or anything um, and um Basically, they were just hired on uh, because they had a great pitch, <laughs> like a really good pitch, and they're big, like passionate, also passionate fans of Tolkien, is what I'm told. Um, it sounds like D and D from Game of Thrones. Yeah. Uh, um, so the reason I, I guess I may, maybe I shouldn't be optimistic to improve, but my, the reason I am is because I think that um, this experience I think will be valuable to them and going forward i think they can do better uh i just wasn't exactly sure how the, the, they ended up getting this job when there was no shortage of writing teams and showrunners that wanted to be on this project and they could have hired or paid or whatever or sought out anyone to do it like literally they could have anyone they wanted well then that, that's a good <laughs> point um this is basically the most expensive show that's ever been made, over a billion dollars. Most, if not all, of the actors are relative unknowns. What's like... Uh, I can't... I don't think the actor. I think the actors have done a good job. Though. Oh, yeah, I'm not criticizing the actors. I'm just saying that in terms of money... Well, that's sort of where money went. Where the money went. Right. Um, they're not paying for any, like, really highbrow actors. Right. Uh, they're all great actors. It's just that most of them we haven't even heard of before. No large names where you would expect a chunk of money to go to. Sure. Thing. Uh, the same is apparently true for the showrunners, the the writers. Um, I mean, I don't I don't know what they've done before, but they're not like. Apparently, they've had no like massive success, and they're not like the big Seasoned. names in the industry. Uh, the effects have been pretty good, I think. I mean. Maybe yeah, I think the technicals are the strongest part so yeah. far. 
Yeah. It, and there's been a few songs that have been in the in the series, which Bear McCrary, yeah, really good. Uh, and the music, you know, that's all good. It, I'm just wondering, like, where they sunk the money into exactly. I think it's. I think. It, I think what Jesse is talking about the technicals, the uh, cinema, cinematography, um, set design, uh, practicals, locations. Like, I feel like they they went to a lot of exotic locations to do most of their filming uh and the set building set design costumes that sort of thing that's probably where a lot of the money went to yeah um i guess none of us really know for sure but uh i guess just i guess to wrap this this part up uh we're all in agreement that i think we all enjoyed season one yes we acknowledge that there's some weaknesses and we're optimistic that they'll improve things in season two. Yeah, that's dead on for me. Did you guys, I just wanted to ask uh, 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 just a quick follow-up. Did you guys know, or right here during the final, I don't know if it was necessarily during the credits, but at the very end of the final episode, um, when there was a song uh, sort of describing the rings, the, the rings, and that was uh, sung by Fiona Apple. Really, I yeah. didn't catch that. I it, didn't know there was Fiona Apple. Th- the credits go by so fast. Um, so, do we want to move on to House of the Dragon, or shall we save that for next episode? Well, let's cram in a little bit, um, since we're, since we're talking about it. Okay. Uh, so. Some interesting things have happened over the last couple of weeks. I'm curious, what was, uh, Jesse, what was, like, the the biggest moment for you in House of the Dragon over the past couple of weeks? Hmm, I guess, um, for me, uh, that's a good question. I, I don't necessarily know if I have one moment that, uh, really stood out to me the most uh i have i I have been watching the show and i um have been you know intently following the show it's it's uh um i feel like the uh i'm probably more in the minority on this show like a lot of people i hear complaining about uh the pacing even more than what i was saying about the other show because how the time jumps have been working and, and having to sort of reorient reorient yourself uh, from episode to episode. But that hasn't even uh, sort of bothered me. I think it's been just a testament to how good the actors are and uh, in the writing to sort of like build in the sort of the acclimation period to each episode. That's just sort of worked really well for me. But um, I guess to more accurately answer your question, uh, probably... Oh, I guess I really like the, I, I think my favorite part of the show right now is, I, I, I've been st- pretty much the whole entire show, it's been Damon. I like the Damon stuff, um, Damon Targaryen. I guess probably the most compelling uh, actual scenes to me are all the small council meetings. I love small council meetings. Uh, every small council meeting has little tidbits and gems and nuggets of, of they are sort of dark but humorous uh and uh sort of riddled with like little uh easter eggs and uh um 
I mean, just the, some of the guys sort of let land from one episode to the other. Like Lord Beesbury's been in each uh, the episode, each of the small council meetings uh, so far. Um, you get we have Otto back. Uh, uh, there's all the uh, just sort of the. I don't know. I just love being a Westeros. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Jamie? Has there been any standout moments? or In the last episode, uh, it was interesting to me that a small amount of division f- seemed to form within the um, Hightower sort of... The Greens, s- so to speak? Yeah, I mean... Has has the term of the Greens been used within the episodes yet? I thought Damon said it at one point. I thought... Well, I don't. I think I think some allusion has been has been led to it. Yeah. Well, there's some uh, there's some slight deviation from uh, between Alicent and Otto, uh, her father, about the best way to go about things. I mean, Alicent herself is you know delusional, uh, but she's convinced that her husband told her that you know that he wanted the, their son Aegon to take the throne. Where they deviate, uh, Alicent and Otto deviate is the treat, uh, what to do about uh, Rhaenyra. Uh, Al- Alicent's still a little bit naive, thinking that once Aegon is proclaimed, that Rhaenyra will come to some sort of amicable agreement about how to deal with it. Uh, I mean, that's just her being short-sighted. Um, and then Otto is has has, hi- has higher goals and is more realistic, and realizes that there's a conflict brewing, and that his action. You know, it's you know designed to get his own house more power, but he knows what's going to happen. Uh, uh, Renice put it best, I think, when she said um, to uh, Alicent that uh, she's not. Uh, I forget how she phrased it, but she's not seeking to escape the prison. She's seeking to you know, put a window in her prison. Yeah, uh, that her that her 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 goals aren't set high enough, uh, which is which I think explains how that episode ended. Um, uh, with uh, Renice, you know, uh, basically siding with the, is it the is it the blacks? Yeah, it, they're they're, they're going to be called that at some point. Again, I don't think these terms have come up in the episodes, but not in the episodes, but in the books, that's the way they named them. The Dance of Dragons so. is basically between the Greens and the Blacks. The Greens being uh, the uh, you know Alicent and uh, Aegon Targaryen at, at King's Landing, and the Blacks being Rhaenyras at Dragonstone. Anyway, I thought that was interesting um, that Rhaenyras wasn't even in the episode. You mean Rhaenyra? Rhaenyra wasn't in the episode. Yeah, uh, It was all just what was going on at King's Landing and sort of the conflict. Well, slight conflict that's sort of uh, developed there. And uh, I'm looking forward to the day uh, when there's an, uh, in the episode where um, who is Alicent's, uh, Rhaenyra's former... A suitor now, uh, Allison's Kristen Cole. Yeah, when oh, he gets his head, yeah. s- his skull caved in, or his, seriously, his body set on fire, or something, uh, because you know, f that guy. <laughs> yeah, he's he's the biggest villain in the show to me. Uh, uh, I I did think of one thing that was. Uh, I mean, there was a lot of things that happened in this last episode. I'm sure uh, I want to hear uh, what you think about it, Josh. But uh, one thing that quickly. Uh, um just flashed across my sort of consciousness. Uh, maybe you guys are familiar. Hopefully uh, some some people are familiar with uh, this uh, gif that I see on social media occasionally 
and it's from the television show The Boys. Uh, I think. Do we all watch The Boys? Um, you talk about that gif of Homelander for season three, where yeah. he, he uh, Homelander like gets this deranged like look on his face. I think it's after he lasered the crowd or something like that, and he just sort of like looks like, oh, that felt good. I have power. You know, you know which one I'm thinking of. <laughs> well, he lasered somebody in front of people, and then he realizes that everyone else is okay with it, and, he and no one like, can do anything about it. Either. Okay, like, yeah. yeah, this is great, and he just gets this look of like pure, like unbridled, like, oh, this is feels really good and he's happy uh so there's this homelander gif okay so that just put that aside for a second so Aegon doesn't want to be king uh he thinks that uh you know it's dangerous for him to be king because you know he'll be the target of uh or he or he's not going to be a good king because his dad didn't like him and he's just kind of a dipshit uh and he never took his job as heir serious or not as heir but as his mom wanting them to act like an heir uh, seriously. Uh, but on the, in the little uh, royal carriage on the way to the uh, coronation, um, she pulls out uh, Viserys's dagger and gives him his dagger. And he starts to like sort of, he starts to get a little confidence and then he gets there and, and they put the crown on his head and he sees these hundreds of people in the crowd cheering for him. And all of a sudden, like something snaps and he like understands that, he's the king now because they gave him the crown and they gave him the dagger. And, uh, to me, like as soon as I saw him, like he sort of like just his whole demeanor changes. And then that made me think of that Homelander gift. Like he's like (laughs) all of a sudden he goes, Oh, I have a dragon. I have the power. I can tell any one of these fuckers to just go bang his head into the wall until it turns into a, uh, a pulp of (laughs) and, uh, and they'll have to do it. Uh, because I'm the king, and I think he sort of like changed his mind right before our eyes about being king. <laughs> yeah. Um, over, uh, I think overall, I I enjoyed the season. I, I I there's certainly like there there are some really bright moments as far as the writing and performance of some of these characters. Um, uh. And I will say that I think that the specifically the character of both Rhaenyra and Alicent are deviating somewhat from the source material, which say what you want at this point about that. But um, I'm a little the the end of episode eight, like the 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 finale of the finale for the first season has me a little concerned episode nine oh i'm sorry yes episode nine thank you has me a little concerned simply because it it reminds me a little bit of some of the stuff that we saw out of season eight of game of thrones where you have rhaenyris uh in this the sept in the great sept hall i think that's where the coronation took place that was the dragon pit yeah oh so it, it was the dragon pit no that was the great sept Ren- yeah renis would yeah. then escape they to were the dragon in, pit. they were in the great sept that's where the coronation took place yeah and no, that was Did, the drag. That's the dragon pit. There is no the the great sept is where all the can like the where the kid was hiding under the candles. 
That's the, that was the sept. Uh, the place where they funneled all the people into to give them the crown, that was the dragon pits. The dragons just live underground. Uh, the, the, the it dragon was the pits, dragon pits? Yeah, that's where they train. Okay. That's why she. That's why the dragon busted out of the so, ground there. So I don't think they explained that very well. No, they didn't. Knowing that that's the case, that's the biggest clears building. In- up, clears up a bunch of the problems I had. Because I was like, so she ran the- all the way to the dragon pit and then flew the dragon underground to and, where and, they were. And found some armor to put on. Yeah. Yes. No, that was the that's the dragon pit. That's the biggest building in King's Landing. Okay. Um, if they had made that a little clearer, I think I wouldn't have been well, or, or, as confused. It'd be like or, going, okay, we're going to have a coronation. Where can we do it? Uh, we need to get it in a big public place in Portland. Oh, get them to the Moda Center. Right. Well, earlier, <laughs> well, two things. Earlier in the episode, uh, Renice said she wanted to go to the dragon pits, but the guy that right, he the, said we couldn't because they'll be looking for you there. But also, the, uh, all the uh, gold cloaks were funneling everybody into the that building. Yeah, yeah. so she was like, "Oh, score." <laughs> Whatever. What What was your point, Joy? Well, no. Uh, so anyway, that clears up a lot of of that. I think I was a little confused as to why she did not just say Dracaris. Honestly. Because she knows, I mean, she is she's shown to be kind of one of the more clear-headed, realistic, smart people in the series so far. Yeah. So she knows that that at that moment, she could wipe out all opposition yeah. to the crown, save thousands of lives, <laughs> um, and that you know these people have basically usurped the throne so they anyway the 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 um uh, and it's interesting because the the if you watch the 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 after episode thing they say that well she was taking the moral high ground which i don't know just i yeah it seemed th- i was just going to say that it seemed thin yeah that i don't i don't understand that because uh you're anyway yeah, the, I, the, the the one leg I would let it stand on is because it did seem really thin to me, but but her position as being the woman who was passed over for the crown, um, she essentially she just wants to be left alone and given you know and and sort of independent in her own right, and she and the one reason I am o- sort of okay with it, I I do like I said I do think it was a little kind of wishy-washy but the one reason i'm a little bit okay with it is because she was looking at allison and going i just want to be left alone i don't want to fuck with your family just don't fuck with mine and yeah but she and, knows uh, that the, but 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 uh, like we see immediately what does she do she goes to dragonstone yeah and she informs rhaenyra this is what's going on so now she's on well, rhaenyra's side eh, i don't know that though that's that's what i'm saying is i think she just wants to be sort of i think she to me if they go that route and 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 definitely establish that i will have a little problem with it but i think she just kind of wants to be like out of it and she goes like you know what you guys figure it out amongst yourselves but leave me out of it but i know that's wishful thinking but yeah i ju- i that's just I don't how i think I, that's how it i'm seeing be, it from her perspective it but. would be uh, that would make sense if she was just like i'm gonna go fly off to essos or yeah. something like that and you know and you guys figured out but that's that's yeah, that's, that's why not what's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, that's why it seemed thin to me too like uh that it didn't really make a lot of sense, but that's the reason I heard them say like you you pointed out in the after show thing that they uh the 
you know writers and producers and stuff do but well yeah a lot to ground to cover and yeah a lot more to cover next time too absolutely (laughs) not to mention the fact that i honestly cannot wait to start talking about andor not today no so long suckers that's right